Welcome to the Oil & Gas Elevate podcast. Each week, Sean McCoy and Eric Johnson share real-world case studies of businesses in oil and gas that are successfully navigating the complex environmental, social, and governance landscape. These are the stories that are driving the energy evolution. Here's a demonstration of some mental stimulation. We a nation making change. Let me frame the illustration. It's time for us to elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power here to innovate. Innovate. Elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power here to innovate. Welcome to the Oil and Gas Elevate Podcast. This is your host, Sean McCoy, along with my, my partner, my buddy, Eric. Good to see you. Good to see you, man. How are you doing? I'm living the dream as always. You know me. Yep. So as we do our July Accelerate episode, one of the things we like to do is look back either at episodes or even some kind of current news. And on the news side, there's something that came up recently that I was really interested in uh, just because of what it meant. And I knew you'd have some perspective on as we talked about a little bit before. And that is the, uh, the technical name. It's the House Resolution 1187. But it's, uh, it's called the ESG Disclosure Simplification Act of 2021 that just passed the House last month. First, I seriously doubt that it simplifies anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would expect, uh, as all things politics, we're going to see quite a bit of division around that. We'll see how it progresses, what it looks like, what it morphs into over time. But I think what's probably most interesting about just this conceptually is you know, during the Trump administration, I would say at a federal level, they weren't quiet, but they, they were definitely in the background. Uh, when you talk about ESG, when you talk about reporting, you talk about who was driving things. I think initially it was the investor investor class. Uh, you had, you inve whether it was BlackRock, whether it was New York City pension funds, whatever, pushing various ESG initiatives, threatening to vote against your directors and those kinds of things. I think what we've seen of late now is a significant push from what I would call the customer class with all of the... Uh, you know, super major saying, hey, we're going to do net zero by 2050. Well, as a supplier or manufacturer or vendor to those to those companies, you've got to find a way to pivot and address ESG issues. But now we see with the Biden administration, we, we kind of see the federal regulatory side starting to show up as well. And so you know, what you and I have talked about before is like all points seem to be coming together to coalesce around, hey, we're headed in this particular direction. Let's figure out how to find a reporting system that works and can be deployed like we and all honestly, like we do with financial gap. So. And one of the things that stood out to me, so kind of give you all there to listen, kind of a general idea of even what it means. Like you said, the fancy word doesn't seem simple, but you start reading it and you get kind of... <laughs> so I, so kind I, of a, I think lawyers probably wrote it. I probably think so. I was, and that's why I knew you would understand. So it's, it's, this is one of those times where it, it really comes, comes to fruition. But um, so basically, publicly traded companies would have to disclose information on climate risks, political spending tax jurisdictions and executive pay raises. And then another thing that, that I read was if signed into law, it would, among other things, require the SEC for the first time, which I thought was interesting, to define in regulations ESG metrics for the purpose of guiding required corporate disclosures under the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 and the Securities Act of 1933. So we haven't already lost the listener with all that jargon. Wake up. <laughs> but in amongst all that, what I thought was so, well, you know, I talked about before, I guess, and my ignorance, and this is where I was going to allude to you, and then ultimately as we bring on uh, Allie and Jennifer here as our guests, and what they're going to expand upon, expand upon this as well, um, you mean publicly com traded companies haven't had to disclose these things? I, I asked you before, like, if I'm a shareholder and I want to know what Shell or any publicly traded company that I may own shares in is doing, I haven't been able to figure out who they're giving money to? Yeah, so once you understand the SEC's rules and regulations and how they prescribe disclosure, there, there are 
parts of it that mandate very specific disclosures. So when you read an annual report, when you read a 10K, when you read a 10Q, um, you will see very specific things that are required in there. But much of the rest of the disclosure falls into this, what can arguably a little bit vague concept of what's material, right? And so what is material to this company with respect to their ongoing operations and how they're going to perform, uh, what's happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future. And many times management, I think rightfully so, will determine a lot of those topics just aren't material. And I think that's what the big debate has long been, is climate risk really something we need to talk about? Is that something that's material that needs to find its way into our disclosures? I think you, as I said before, I think you've seen the investor class say, yes, it's very important to us. Uh, I think the customers are now mandating, hey, you need to, we need to understand what you're doing in the field for us so that we can go back and report to our, to our own investor class, right? So I, I do think you're finally seeing the SEC, you're seeing the legislature, everybody's starting to catch up and we're going to mandate pushing in this particular direction. And so just to be clear, it's, uh, it passed the House uh, basically upon party lines by one vote. And then now it's off to the Senate. So it's not a bill or it's not a law. It's, it hasn't been signed into yet. And, and I was reading that the Senate has a 50-50 split partisan-wise. So if it goes along those routes, it could actually be dead in the water. Um, so it, so that, I think that's important to understand as far as what it actually means. And as you'd mentioned, you know, there's a chance it could flare out. But yeah, it's, it's another indication of where things are going. Right. And I think the SEC has been very clear, uh, the new chairperson has been very clear that they're going to do something. And I don't think they're waiting on, on Congress to figure it out. So uh, I think we'll see something from them uh, in the very near future that we can start commenting on. They'll do rule proposals and we'll have a chance to comment on it and, and talk about it. Uh, but I've always said over the last couple of years that I thought we would see prescribed ESG disclosure, at least at the large cap level by 2025. That may even happen sooner now with all of these initiatives. So we'll see where it goes. Sounds good. And let's, uh, let's get a chance. We'll take a break. We'll hear from our sponsors at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And then we'll have the chance to bring on Ali Veltman, who's the CEO and founder of ESG Link, as well as Jennifer Sadenwater, who's our managing director. Get a little insight from them and then talk about some other things that are related to this. And so we'll be back here in just a moment. Awesome. Hey, Sean, quick note about our sponsor, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. If you think Hewlett Packard is all about printers, think again. Hewlett Packard Enterprise, HPE, is the edge to cloud platform as a service company. They help oil and gas industry leaders solve environmental, social, and governance issues by sharing industry best practices and leveraging their expertise. Their team of technologists have decades of experience in IT sustainability, efficiency, and the circular economy. HPE can help reduce lifecycle cost and your company's impact on the environment while achieving greater profitability through sustainability. Sounds great, Eric. And do you want to find out more? Go to www.hpe.com forward slash engage forward slash IOT, or you can click on the link in the show notes of this episode for more information and to download their white paper about it. All right. Thanks for sticking with us, Jennifer, Allie. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Well, thank you for having us. Yes, it's nice to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. So, Allie, I'd like to start with you. You just heard us talking about this Disclosure Act, and we talked about it a little bit before, or Simplification Act. Uh, when you hear about it, what, what does it make you think about from your side? Well, I think it's two things, right? It's, you kind of have to separate to the purpose and the reason why they're doing that. And the other one is what is what are the implications of having something like that being regulated by the SEC? So it's two different uh, which are almost opposing, right? The underlying reason for it. I think that there's a lot of, of, of good um, reasons for that happening. And one of them is standardization. I mean, Eric, you mentioned the, 
the, the public in general, the investors are requiring it. And so it's just the question is, that, okay, how are we going to standardize this? And someone needs to step in and, and put the ground rules as to what this information is. And, you know, you guys have talked about data. And so that's really kind of underlying what's the standard and someone needs to say what standard. On the other hand, you have the, the, the real purpose. And Jennifer, we, you guys were grateful, or we were grateful that y'all sent us some white papers all written that kind of feed into this. And at the same time, it just seems like the undercurrent is just this issue with reporting and this issue with standardization and things of that nature. And so uh, when you hear about bills like this and things like that, and you, and you hear about the complexity around those kinds of things, kind of what comes up in your mind? Well, I think one of the things is, um, as Eric mentioned, what's naturally asked to be disclosed in public filings is what's material to companies. And when you talk about ESG ESG disclosures, what's material varies based on your industry. And so to have something regulated, um, I think is hard to come up with exact disclosures that will fit everyone because that's not the case. And in uh, one of our papers that we'll have uh, linked in your show notes, we talk about uh, navigating the ESG ecosystem with the various framework providers, and a lot of those are starting to converge um, for the purposes of standardization, and um, which will enable you know companies to be better matched against peers um, when looking at these types of disclosures. So I have a question uh, for you, Allie, in that regard around peer pure kind of comparison or something like that. I mean, is that, do you see, I mean, what do you see as the main use? We say we get everything kind of rolling, we get the standards set and that kind of thing. Does it become, is that more from a competitive standpoint, from a market aspect? Or is it really about it meeting something else? Like we, Eric had mentioned, climate risk was this thing that was has been so hard to get people to kind of buy into. And so, whereas these material aspects are before in the 10Ks and 10Qs actually have an impact on the business, I should say, not that the other ones don't but that these, this is something that's being asked to kind of be introduced into that. So do you see this going forward as something that would be used for more of a competitive advantage or is it really because people want to save the world in a way around climate? I think that the both converge, right? It costs money to save the world. And, and I think that that's where sometimes you have that conflict. What, we're talking about companies and capital and the decision that investors need to make. And so I think that there's a way, ESG is a way to link, and that's why ESG link, right? To link purpose and profits. So can you have a purpose, you can call it save the world, whatever it is that, it, that, that you're doing, but you have to make profits. We're not in a nonprofit world when we talk about the SEC. And so what is underlying, can you link the two? And then things got complicated, right? How do you make, how do you standardize? And by doing that, by, by creating that standardization is just, okay, so as an investor, I want to invest in a company that is going to, you know, uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And so, so how do I measure it? How do I know that the information that they're providing is accurate and that I can rely on it to make an investment decision? So it's that, how do I have the tools as an investor to make a decision? What, you know, one of the things that you and I always talk about is ROI, right? And we're like, okay, we can't, the, the joke that you and I always have is we can't worry about sustainability if we're not sustainable ourselves, which goes to your, your point earlier. It's gotta be, there's gotta be a profitable business behind making good decisions that will actually attract the investor class to participate. Um, so I, I, wanna, I wanna jump off of that thought a little bit and talk a little bit about um, business strategy. Moving away from 
Yeah, we, we need standardization of the reporting. We need credible and comparable data so that investors can make decisions and how, determine how they want to allocate their capital. But if I'm sitting in the boardroom or if I'm sitting in the C-suite and I'm looking at this, and I think over the last several years, you had people putting out ESG reports in an attempt just to disclose what they did do to pat themselves on the back where they deserve to be patted on the back. But there's a step, in my mind, there's a step before that that is strategic. What business lines are we going to go into? How are we going to modify our existing businesses? And so as y'all sit there on the consulting side and you're sitting there working um, uh, with clients, just wanted to get your thoughts on, it's not just reporting, we're talking about a whole strategic evolution that needs to happen in the industry as well. And so Ali, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that and Jennifer, you weigh in as well. Sure. Okay, well, so I'll get started. Actually, it's, it's fascinating because that's one of the first steps that we do when we go to a client. We start with strategy. It's like, what is your strategy as a company? How do you create value, right? And how you deliver value is increasing, you know, your customers' willingness to pay and, and reducing your suppliers' their willingness to sell, right? And so what is that strategy and how are you going to guide it? Once the company knows that, whether they're, you know, and, and you can tweak it. And so then now the next step is that what we do is, okay, how do you link that strategy to the E, S, and G factors, right? So so from what you're doing on that strategy, how does that, your um, environmental aspects, right? How, how is your, your social aspect impact that? And so you look at it as a whole. Now it's, it's a little bit more broad because, you know, we... In the oil and gas industry, we, we love EBITDA, and that's all we talked about, right? Um, but I think it just gives you a little bit more of a broad, long-term value creation that you're looking at, the ESG factors, only, only as part of that strategy and as a long-term value creation goal. Right, and I think the return on investment on implementing those measures into your business is something that's going to be recognized much later into the future. It's not going to be immediate, like financial returns can be more immediate in nature. And when companies are writing their reports, I think they, you know, you can kind of look at your strategy from two, I like to say two different levels. There's how you are performing as a company on these ESG metrics, and then what you're doing as a company to enable your customer sustainability or to, um, you know, make sure you have a sustainable supply chain. It's like a, a give and pull from both directions. I was in, so in that regard, I guess it makes me think about, um, you said strategy, Allie, and so many times it seems like companies, when they're, this is almost like a shock to them, like this ESG, where did this come from? Uh, I, I never, we never thought about this kind of thing. But at the same time, that's not exactly true. A lot Correct. of companies are already doing something. So what, what are some things, Allie, some things, Jennifer, that you've seen from customers that, where they think we haven't done anything, you're, like, you're able to say, no, 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 here are some areas that you're already doing something that actually, this is actually ES energy related. Well, I think that's that's one of the reasons why we, uh, you know, when you make it simple, is that our first step what we do, and then we call it gap analysis. Is just you know what are the what do the investors want, but what you already have. The, the energy industry has always been, you know, it's always been part of our DNA to be safe, right? All the safety measures that we take, all the processes, that is part. That's the S and ESG. So our companies have already been doing, and they already reported. The difference is now that they actually have to disclose it in, 
to the investors, which they didn't do before. Mm -hmm. So that's one of them, right? The other one is even environmental, the same thing, right? They're required to report to EPA, and it was a report that was there. And so now we're just kind of working with the operations of the organization with your you know, health, environment, and safety people to work with the corporate side of the company, with the CEO, the CFO, to bring those two together. So, so, so Jennifer, before, I, I want to expand upon what she said a little bit, though, instead of having you answer the same question. Uh, you talked about now we're, now we're disclosing mm-hmm. those measurements. And it seems like there may be a chance for reluctance of companies to do that. And have you seen that? And then kind of how is that, how do y'all handle that? And how do you help in that regard? Sure. Um, some, it varies. You know, some companies are, um, they know, they know what their performance is. They know that they have a great story to tell and they're eager to do so. And then we have other clients who are, um, responding to investor requests that said, you need an ESG report. And they're the ones that are sometimes a little bit more hesitant, but the great thing where, which Ali said earlier, that what's exciting is that in those instances, we have witnessed transformation through the reporting process where they were a little bit hesitant on, especially the legal counsel, as Ali said, um, we're often, it's you always know, the lawyer. Yeah, it's always the lawyers. <laughs> it's always the lawyers. They don't want don't to disclose too much. And oftentimes too, you know, we have to say, this is a good thing to, dis- you want it, the purpose of this report is transparency. And, you know, if your numbers aren't that great this year, you have a goal for next year to improve them. And so it's an opportunity for improvement rather than, oh, goodness, we don't we want to stay hush hush and keep this under the rug. That's the wrong answer. Well, and I'm going to expand on that a little bit, because I I do think everybody's when I talk to clients, um, whether that be, you know, somebody kind of in the mid level in the legal department, whether it be in the C-suite, I I think everybody feels like they're drinking from a fire hose with respect to the ESG issues. And I get it. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about that journey because I think what something you just said, I, I want people to embrace more, which is you start to look at what you've already disclosed and whether mm-hmm. it's EPA, whether it's safety issues. Again, I think I've told you this before, Sean, every board meeting I've ever sat in an OFS company, the very first slide in the slide deck is safety, right? That's what's mm-hmm. talked about. And, and we have done a really good job at that, but I want to talk a little bit about this journey of maybe opening eyes and whether it's a CEO or a chairman or somebody in ops looking and go, hey, hey, we actually do have some great things to tell. And maybe does, or do you see that inspiring them to take the next step? And does it, do you see it not just in disclosure, but inspiring strategic change as well? Absolutely. Yes. Time and time again, we see yeah. that. And my, I like to share this story, but we have a client when we were having our initial kickoff meeting and we talked about linking business strategy to ESG strategy. And she said, but what if we don't have an ESG strategy? And we said, you do. You just haven't defined it that way, but you definitely have one. And throughout the reporting process, we're able to reveal what that is and identify areas to improve upon and identify strengths. And we just wrapped up a recent job. And I mean, one of her comments was she enjoyed the process. She thanked us for breaking it down into buckets where it was a, it enabled them to take it piece by piece. It didn't seem so overwhelming and some great data points for moving forward and ideas for next year. And they're already, it's like before we can even wrap up one report, they're already thinking about, okay, well next year we're going to do this and this. So we do definitely see that excitement um, throughout our reporting process with our clients. And I think that's so important because so many of the people I run into, there's almost this fear of taking that first step. And I get it. I, I hate when I go into the office and my to-do list has like 37 things on it. You're like, oh, geez. <laughs> uh, but you just got to start checking them off and start going. And I, I do think once you 
peel it back and say, oh, wow, we really are doing some amazing things. And I mean, Sean, in all honesty, that's the whole purpose of this podcast mm-hmm. is there's some amazing things going on that just don't get told. Uh, and I think, I think we need to do a better job of telling our stories. And one of the places to do that is definitely in the report. Um, but Ali, let's, I, I love the strategy part. I, I think it's the most important part. Um, and we see the super majors, whether that be an EMP or we see the supers uh, in OFS um, that have started pivoting really hard, um, getting out of certain business lines, um, aggressively moving into certain transition businesses or even renewable businesses for that matter. But just want to talk about kind of that, that connection between reporting and strategy, dive a little bit deeper into it. When you're talking to your clients, I mean, what are you telling them? Do they see that connection between ESG and strategy? Are they starting to see and they're like, okay. Because I do think the supers are seeing it and they're moving hard. Mm-hmm. But let's be honest, the small caps and the privates and everybody else are going to need to do the same thing. So just wanted to get your thoughts on that, that linkage to use ESG link. <laughs> We're going to use that a lot today. To, to use that ESG link and talk about strategy and how you guys, whether you're pushing or pulling or whatever you're doing with that C-suite to make them get going in the right direction. Yeah. I think it's just that first conversation. And then as we go to, to draft reports. So for example, um, one of our small cap uh, clients, they were... Um, having a little bit of a difficulty because they know that, okay, you can talk about transition from a big picture perspective. It's like, you know, it's going to be 20, 30 years until we get there, right? But but right now it's happening. And so they were able to actually see that some of the products that they were selling were helping their customers reduce emissions. They just didn't have them classified that way and, and or paying attention because they were a small percentage. But at the same time, it was an opportunity, right? As you go through also the risk management process, what are your opportunities and threats, right? And so he presented a new opportunity for the company to start focus, and he, he provided a clear path for that transition, right? It's like all our products that we have and we're selling to the you know, upstream, midstream, now we're going to have more in the midstream and also some renewables and also just kind of help our regular upstream midstream to to meet that need right so so again strategy is about the customer it's about creating value and it's long term so that's the connection is as we go through that is look at what's going to be obviously it's going to impact the bottom line it's going to help your customers it's going to help your stakeholders and it's also help you transition by looking and by asking the questions from your supply chain, from your marketing folks, from your finance folks. And it's all a team effort because now all of a sudden they had to now figure out how to create these reports that would give them that information of what our sales are, what our revenue is of these products that are environmentally safe and which suppliers we have that can give us this product and what their emissions are. I think one of the takeaways from this conversation is that reporting can actually open your eyes. I think, I think there's a lot of senior leaders. Um, it's not blinders, but they've done, they've been very successful and they've always done something in one particular way, but little did they know if they took those blinders off, they were also doing something. They didn't really think about it, but they were also doing something that was very ESG centric and focused. Mm -hmm. And it's just a question of like repackaging it, rethinking how you look at your business and moving in that direction. And so, I mean, for me, to the extent I run into clients that haven't done an ESG report yet, I, mean, I almost want to say, no, go, go do it. You don't realize what you're already doing and how it's going to re 
jigger the way you see what you do um, and can make a lot of money doing it. So I have a question for literally for all three of you, uh, however you want to tackle this, but it, you said something earlier, Jennifer, about you know time. Hey, you have a time. You can do this next year. And then I think about the way that the business world, our business world operates, especially in even the publicly traded business world. Time is never, ever our friend. Is there enough time? Let's, let's take publicly traded companies in general. Let's start with, say, the lar- you know, larger ones, whatever that means, the bigger ones. Are stakeholders and shareholders and or shareholders willing to let that time go by to find that answer and have that mea culpa moment that says maybe they're not in the right place? Because it seems to me that it's a very, like almost none, especially in the oil and gas world, like they don't really get a, a chance to do that. But, it's, but to do it effectively, they need that time to, to make that happen. So I'll let the ESG link team weigh in, but I'll, let me throw my couple thoughts out. I, I think first... Look at BP. Like their stock price has not responded in a way that they want it to yet. Okay. But that requires the leadership, both at the board level and the C suite level, to say, hey, we have to pivot in some way. And we haven't monetized it perfectly yet. We're still working. We're still learning. We're trying to do the right things. We're still pivoting out of one thing and moving into something else. So you're going to have to take, you're going to have to have the strength and the willpower and the just tenacity to stick with it. And I know when you go into your quarterly earnings call, you're going to catch some grief from some, but you need to stick to your story and stick to your message. If you're learning things and you got to change things, fine, do so. But I do think it takes time. Um, and, but if all you're worried about is the next quarterly earnings call and that's it, then you're going to find yourself left out without that kind of long-term strategic vision. And that's kind of how I think about it. Allie, your, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree with the, with the fact that it, it's going to take, because it's a change, and that's the whole point of this um, ESG message, right? It's also the long-term view. And things don't happen overnight. And this is going to happen over time. It's just that, and, and you know, I'm not saying that the, the pure play, you know, upstream companies are not going to be there. But, but there's cash. And everybody wants cash today. And that's what we have, right? And so it's a decision. And so like you said, like BP, right? They make the strategic decision to look into the future and where we're going. And, and, and you're going to need the investment from companies like that, of that size, to make that leap and, and go that way, right? And so, so that's kind of where, at the beginning, we say, you know, there's pros and cons, and, and that's where we are, and that's what happens with change, you know, just with any kind of technology or, or, or any other industrial change. So just to pivot a little bit, Jennifer, on your side, so in lieu of those answers, when a, when a company is concerned about time, what do y'all, how do y'all help them manage that process and stick to their guns, as Eric was mentioning? Well, I think we, um, we push them to help to make some goals and targets, first of all, and that's part of, part of the reporting process. Sometimes an inaugural report sets a baseline so they can kind of say, okay, where are we? What kind of goals are even achievable? Because a lot of companies are, are setting these cl- climate-related goals into the future, and we may not be seeing um, changes in stock price and everything until shareholders start to see action and how these companies are going to achieve those goals. And once they start to see that movement, I think, you know, the momentum will pick up. But um, oftentimes, you know, we can get into the whole issue of um, data collection and everything. I think a lot of companies are struggling with that. And that's part of kind of the hesitancy of we need time because it it does. And as Ali said earlier, it it takes um, capital to implement some of this, to to track some of the data, to report on these metrics. Um, But their shareholders are pushing for it and they're asking for it and they know that they need, they need to stick with it. So 
we have them set goals and then um, little by little we said that the goal for you is to show progress year over year it doesn't have to be perfect but showing progress is is what you need to look to achieve well this always goes by really fast we're, we're almost at the time limit but before we go i want to give each one of y'all a chance before we say thank you for coming so kind of a uh, I don't know, just what's on your heart out there for somebody, for com- people who are listening, listeners out there, companies in terms of ESG reporting, just kind of what, what would you want to say out there to the audience as we, as we wrap up? Well, for those companies who feel that they don't have the, um, the internal team, which most don't have a sustainability reporting team, you can outsource it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You can yeah. outsource it, um, you know, and it's not as hard as it seems. It, ta- it, it takes coordination between all the different functions in the company, but it is definitely doable and it, and it can be done in an efficient, manageable, organized process. And you'll have, um, you'll have a nice report to share with everyone at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I think, you know, I, I just love what Jennifer said. It's, it's just our passion, right? We, we really love to see the difference. And so I would say, you know, kind of what I, I, I said earlier, just focus on strategy. Keep it simple. Mm-hmm. I think that just the simplicity of it is, is what helps. You know, you don't want a complicated scorecard. Keep it simple and then use the resources available. For us, I think that uh, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board or SASB, you know, SASB.org provides very good tools, very simple tools. It reduces the number of metrics. Look up, look up your your company's uh, industry and see what those ESG metrics are and how you're doing and start there. You know, you don't have to go and, and make a complicated process. So just start small, make it simple, focus on your customers, focus on your investors, and 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 you'll be you'll be part of you'll be perfectly in place to to have an ESG strategy and talk be able to talk to your investors. Well, that was an awesome discussion. Thank y'all both so much for joining us today. Uh, very insightful. Appreciate it. Yes. All right. Thank you. And with that, uh, appreciate y'all's time listening. And we'll be back next week. And before I actually before I go, um, you know, Jennifer alluded to it, but. Yes, companies like theirs that are, that are there to, to provide consulting services to help you. Feel free to reach out to them, even if it's just a general discussion or maybe somebody to help you along with your ESG story. So don't, don't uh, hesitate to do that. We love to promote that kind of thing for anybody that comes on the show. And so with that, we actually will wrap up and we'll see you all next week. On behalf of the Elevate podcast team, thank you so much for clicking play and bringing to life these amazing stories. We hope this elevated your perspective and serves you well as you navigate understanding ESG and the energy evolution. We are so grateful for your time and kindly ask that you rate and review the show on Apple iTunes, which is a great way to help us grow. The best way to support the work we are doing is to tell a friend about it, ask them to listen, and share with others what you've learned from listening to our guests. Lastly, we want to invite you to reach out to us for any comments, suggestions, or just to connect. You can do that through my email, sean.mccoy at oggn.com. I'd love to hear from you and what you think of our podcast. Be safe, and we look forward to bringing you another episode next week. Here's a demonstration of some mental stimulation. We a nation making change. Let me frame the illustration. It's time for us to elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power, here to innovate. innovate. Elevate your mind to a higher place. OGG in the power, here to innovate.